This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Yo, yo, it's Wednesday, October 26th, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria DeVetti in Toronto. Ryan Jesperson here in Edmonton. It's nice to see you after a little time off. Yeah, I had a busy week last week. I was in Ottawa doing a bunch of work stuff. And, uh, you know, thank you to the listeners for allowing us to take a bit of a pause. Yeah, you were, you were in Ottawa doing a little bit of work stuff. If people follow you on social media, you, 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 were, you were rubbing shoulders with the prime minister, which was pretty sweet. But good to see you going up. You know, and there's a bit of a different vibe when you're down in Ottawa walking the halls of power, isn't there? <laughs> you mean I'm not in a giant hoodie um, <laughs> looking like a bit of a schlub? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> No, it looked great. You had a good, you had a good, uh, not exactly time off for you. There was a lot going on, but it's great to be back with you. There's a lot to catch up on. Uh, obviously, a uh, big election in Ontario, and I think we're still looking for people that actually showed up and voted there. We'll get to that in just a second. Yeah, there's a, a lot to get into on that front. Um, the uh, another story that you know we were sort of touched on earlier, and we finally have a bit of a conclusion on, is that Adidas has finally dropped Kanye West um, after Balenciaga and Gap had already done so. So, uh, good for them for finally uh, taking a stand against you know rampant anti-Semitism, anti-Black sentiment, and general misogyny that Kanye West has been exhibiting for quite some time. I thought that that was a very uh, sort of a, a, a generous assessment of what it's been like. It's, it's mostly just been a, 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 a tire fire, you know, to put it in, in it, the it, dumbed it down terms of what's going on with him right now. And like the anti-Semitic stuff, you know, it, it's the world's most insidious form of bigotry for a reason, because it tends to percolate and fester and we've seen a lot of uh you know on the ground effects for jewish people uh in the states and in canada as well um and it's it's very worrying um you know when you uh, are wearing like a, a star of david or you're wearing a kippa and you're worried about your actual safety um because you are identifiably jewish yeah so uh, adidas you know i mean they estimate this is going to cost them $250 million this year. I wasn't really surprised to hear that their Yeezy line was was earning $2 billion US a year. But this is uh, obviously a decision that has financial consequences for the company, financial consequences for Kanye West, whether he cares or not. Uh, I know some people think that this is just a troll. Some people think that it's funny. Some people think it's appalling uh, for obvious reasons. On the lighter side, on the social media side of this, I loved that Weight Watchers tweet uh, as they congratulated Adidas on losing 163 pounds. I thought that was the tweet of the week. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I'm a big Weight Watchers fan myself. I told you right before we hit record that that's how I lost the baby weight. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> generally. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you something, a story in our neck of the woods here in Western Canada. We had two 
convention, so to speak, over this past weekend, the Danielle Smith and her United Conservative Party. Of course, she's Alberta's new premier. And then Alberta's NDP. As a matter of fact, uh, NDP members uh, across the country were having meetings, of course, and, and different things happening of varying degrees of consequence. But uh, a resolution passing out of the NDP conference that we had some fun with talking about earlier this week, lowering the voting age to 16. And I've been looking forward to this Wednesday to have a chance to talk to you about that. You think it's a good idea? You think it's a terrible idea? I know you're not indifferent. Yeah, I don't think it's a great idea. Um, I think 16 is a bit of an arbitrary age to pick. Um, I can certainly understand some of the arguments and I am, you know, somewhat sympathetic to them that in order to increase turnout, um, you want to lower the age, you know, kids should have more of a say, uh, particularly when it comes to issues that are, you know, like climate related um, and some of the more longer term issues because, you know, older folks aren't going to be around um, when the planet is decimated. So that's certainly an argument. But I, I don't know. I just I, I just think it's a, an arbitrary plucking of uh, of a number to say, OK, yeah, let's let's lower it. And I'd be curious to see if they form government, if they actually go ahead and implement something like that. It's kind of like when folks talk about electoral reform when they're not in power. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, electoral reform. First path to power sucks. And then they get into power and they're like, meh, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'd, be <clears throat> I'd be curious to know, like, which uh, I think I already know the answer. That's why I'm double clutching on the question. Like, uh, wh where on the what what space on the political spectrum would the majority of 16 year olds occupy? And, uh, you know, you, you might suggest that they'd probably be lefties, that it, that it might make more sense. I don't know anymore. But I don't know either, because when I was 16, I was a full-blown right-winger growing up in South Calgary. So I have no idea. I've seen both. Yeah, I was definitely much more right-wing um, the younger I was. In fact, at one point, I was a card-carrying conservative. Um, so, so yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. And I think, you know, when we're talking about younger men in, in particular, and you see some of the inroads that... Uh, Pierre Polyev has has made, uh, you know, you saw his rallies, you saw his videos like folks are, are turning out and a lot of young men are turning out. So I, I don't know if they would necessarily all lean left. I think that's a, that might be a bit of a presumption yeah. on, on people's yeah. part. Yeah, might be proven wrong if, if you were to think that, uh, you know, 16 year olds, if they're uh, you know, if they're if they're working, if they have a job uh, after school or if they're out of school, it's their choice. Of course, they can. You know, I mean, they're paying taxes. Uh, we'll we'll license drivers at 16. I mean, we'll put them behind the wheel of a vehicle um, with big responsibility there. So I don't know. I also kind of feel as I'm saying this that I'm just being the cheap devil's advocate that I'm that I'm filling the role for the conversation. I don't know if I really believe it or not. No, no, but what was the age for the UCP race? Like in order to it was choose... 14. I think it was 14. I'd, I'd want to fact check, it, but I'm pretty sure it's 14 years old. You could you could cast a ballot for the leader of the party, which was a, which was, uh, you know, casting a vote for the next premier of Alberta. So uh, I saw, you know, a, a political blogger by the name of Dave Cornway. He does a great blog called Dave Berta that people can check out. And he was he was joking about that as the as the United Conservatives were poking fun at the idea of the NDP resolution around voters 16 years of age having to say the next provincial election they're saying and this coming from the party that allowed 14 year olds to choose their next leaders so uh i don't think though i don't think that that was the first example of hypocrisy in politics that we've seen <laughs> i'm pretty sure it wasn't well let's end on a, on a really positive note here um because the uk has really good news as 
they've solved all of their racism now that Rishi Sunak is uh, their their PM. So congratulations so to the UK. Yeah, just like America solved racism with the election of Barack Obama, the yeah. UK did it. Oh, so that must have been so for exciting for everybody in the US when they finally solved racism back with Barack Obama. Hey, what, what do you make of, of, of what we know of this? He's, he's sort of one of the lesser known global leaders right now of course but there's a there's a lot of buzz around the uk's new prime minister uh, a compelling guy appears to be he's vowed uh, after meeting with king charles the third and and receiving that invitation to form government he's vowed that this will be a, a government of, of repute a government that that will not embarrass the british people this uh, coming from the third prime minister in two months as the opposition has pointed out yeah, like go to an election, man. Like, I don't know. They've now, to your point, third prime minister in a very short period of time. It doesn't seem like they have a, a great mandate, which I know we're going to get into a, a little bit later in the Ontario uh, specter. But uh, it just seems like odd um, that country is operating the, the way it is, at least from from afar. And, you know, they are coming down uh, on a pretty big cost of living crisis. Cost of energy is going to skyrocket. Um, and I, 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 f- I feel for uh, the, the people in the UK who are going to feel that pinch. Yeah. If you're Rishi Sunak, though, and you're not 100 percent certain that you're going to win an election, why in the hell would you call one if you didn't? Have oh, of course to? not. Yeah. You know, yeah give exactly. your, give yeah. yourself some time uh, to figure it out. Uh, we see that, of course, with the leadership changes all around the world. Supriya, before we get to our lead, I want to remind people, if you're looking to provide high stakes training in a regulated industry, you know, if so, you already know that that high quality training is a non-negotiable. So if you're a regulator, an association, a licensing body, chances are that you're providing training that is absolutely essential for protecting the public and that's a big deal you know you're training our nurses and our engineers and our safety professionals our police and more so your organization needs more than an lms to achieve your training goals and the good news here is that we know training is so much more than just an lms they provide everything from instructional design to course hosting and distribution, from a powerful e-commerce engine to best-in-class bilingual learner support, and will help your organization scale your content to a larger audience of learners. They've helped organizations grow their training offerings into $3 million in revenue and slash failure rates by 68% to unleash confidence for learners and regulators alike. We know training specializes in high stakes training for regulated industries, and they're your one-stop solution to provide training that matters. You'll be in great company with success stories from We Know Training partners like the Liquor and Cannabis Regulatory Branch of British Columbia, the Alberta Hunter Education Instructors Association, and the College of Midwives of Ontario. If you want training that truly makes a difference to your community and your revenue growth, get in touch with We Know Training. You can visit them online right now at weknowtraining.ca to learn more. The lead. We've come so far over the past eight years, but we have unfinished business that I'm absolutely determined to see through. We've made so much progress on getting transit and housing built and growing our economy. And now we have a strong mandate to continue with that progress. And that is what I asked for, a strong mandate, and that is what I've been given. So that was the uh, mayor of Toronto, John Tory, there claiming that he has a strong mandate. But let me ask you this, Ryan, um, if turnout for a race was less than a third 
of the population, would you consider that a strong mandate? <laughs> well, what is a strong mandate anyway? Uh, you know, I, I, the whole voter turnout thing, I've, I've never really been able to wrap my mind around it. It's, it's sort of the same as, as political approval numbers, you know? Like if a politician is polling in like the low 60s uh, among the general public, people will say that's fantastic, right? Yeah. But but as a high school student, you know, bringing your marks home to your parents, <laughs> the low 60s, I don't know. I, I didn't really ever get much celebratory. Yeah, you're shaking your head. I feel like I, I dug deep into something there. Did I hit a nail on the head there with yeah, you? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't think I would have ever been able to bring a mark in the low 60s Low 60s, home, but, no. But yeah. so, yeah, so what is a strong, like, what is voter turnout? If you look at it, Ottawa did, uh, Ottawa was kind of like the shining star, and that was under 50% turnout with eligible voters, right? Like 44% Toronto. Like you said, less than a third. It's about 29% the numbers show. Yeah. And so I have these numbers up here. So to your point, Ottawa, 44%, Toronto, 29%, Brampton, 25%, London, 25%, Mississauga, 22%, and Kitchener, 21%. So 21%. Yeah, yeah. So Toronto's not an outlier in terms of like having low voter turnout. And, you know, I was digging at Mayor Tory there for a little bit. But like, I what else would you expect him to say? Right. No candidate's going to go out there on victory night and basically go, well, I won, but I have no mandate. So back to the drawing yeah, board. Right? He's like, wow, like, I can't believe barely anybody <laughs> showed up for them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like a win is a win. Um, but it's uh, I, I don't know, like we can get into a few of my worries about what this could possibly mean. But let me ask you first, as somebody who, you know, I assume you don't celebrate the volley. I, I don't mean to make assumptions, but hey, election- <laughs> let's not make assumptions here. But, you know, the municipal elections uh, in Ontario were held on Diwali and there are a lot of um, folks that are making the point that perhaps that was a a pretty big factor in lowering turnout. Now, my own view is that I'm sure it didn't help, but I I don't know if that explains like a 21 percent turnout in Kitchener. Right. Um, Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a friend of mine was 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 working in Brampton, helping out with the campaign out there. And uh, and uh, he was uh, devastated, to be quite honest. We've got a group chat and he was he was texting. He was sort of updating us through election night. All of us had been wishing him and his candidate well. And and he said that he was at a polling station uh, in in a neighborhood in Brampton with a with a high, uh, you know, sort of East Asian population. And, And he just he basically said, like, around the supper hour. I'll never forget his message. Well, I might forget it one day, but he said, uh, basically, there's no lineup. There's nobody here. There's no he was he was devastated. And uh, and so I don't know, Supriya, like, like, do you think I mean, I don't think I don't think Diwali was like the 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 number one problem uh, contributing to low voter turnout. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a factor, maybe especially in in particular communities or particular cities. Do, Do you think so? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned Brampton. I think that obviously would have played a factor. Uh, parts of Mississauga, you obviously would have played a fa- factor. Parts of Toronto as well. Um, but I don't know if that explains the the wide across the board low turnout numbers. And, you know, this gets me into my more worrying sort of point um, is that is there something else afoot? And Kate Graham, who is, uh, you know, she's a political scientist and is a former uh, candidate for the Ontario Liberal Party. She ran for the Ontario Liberal leadership the last time they had a race as well. Um, you know, very well regarded, very very smart. And she pointed to the fact that there are, you know, if you look at trust scores across the board, whether you're talking about media or government or politicians, like institutions more generally, 
those are plummeting those numbers. And, you know, I don't want to draw any con- like hard conclusions based on one set of data, right? This is just one municipal election that we're drawing conclusions from. But if, if those trust scores are plummeting, right. And if voter turnout is the way it is, and if it continues to trend downward um, to this degree at, at various levels of election races, um, what does that mean? It, it, it kind of like that to me is, is much more worrying if people are tuning out to the point because they think the system is rigged against them. Right. And that's a message we hear often from Pierre Polyev in the Canadian context, not that the system itself is rigged, but that, you know, our institutions are rotten and there are gatekeepers that are trying to keep you down. Um, but I mean, Bernie Sanders in the States, uh, his whole shtick was that the system was rigged and everyone was out to get him like mm. that. It, that kind of messaging after a while, I feel like kind of poisons uh, the entire chalice uh, a, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Stephen Punwasi about this, of course, who, who was was running for mayor in Toronto. And, and he was telling us that, he, you know, he deems his campaign to be a a success because he just wanted to put issues like this on the radar. He just wanted to, to start conversations like this. And one of the comments I made to him uh, on Real Talk was that you can't I, I can't look around and conclude that that young people and by young, I, let's say like like, you know, under 55 or, or most especially under 45, that they don't care about what's going on because you have no choice but to care about things like rising interest rates and and a, and a super hot housing market that's now cooling and what does this mean for whoever? There's implications everywhere. Uh, people's costs are rising on on all fronts. It seems um, so. You, so I, I see people that care because it impacts them on a daily basis. And and so I guess one of the early conclusions that I draw, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, Supri, is that people simply don't see. Uh, elected government or that in this case municipal governments or maybe all the way through as as the mechanism for them to be represented or as the Uh. mechanism for change and so even if you care very deeply about the fact that you're having to stretch further than ever to make your payments every month or or to keep your head above water uh, but you still don't show up to vote uh, then then what does it say it has to be that people don't see their elected officials as the ones that they turn to are the ones that can can help them out. I mean, is, am I taking a step too far in drawing that conclusion? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, what I will say is that if you're, you know, working multiple jobs to keep your head of, above water, then you probably don't necessarily have the time to be super plugged in, right? Sure. Or nor do you have the bandwidth um, to be able to, to do that. You may not have uh, an employer who's letting you off to go uh, vote uh, as well. But, you know, to your point, it, it's, it's, tr- I, I think that's, that's quite right. I, I think people don't necessarily see um, elected representatives or our institutions or government, however you want to qualify it as being the solutions to their problems. And, you know, to a degree that that's understandable, but if we have large segments of the population that are just completely tuning out and, that's bad. Uh, that's bad for all sorts of reasons. And I think that our elected leaders, you know, need to do a much better job of bringing people back into the fold. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you, I want to circle back to the Diwali thing. Um, you know, regardless of whether you're, you're, you're sick or, or Buddhist or Hindu or, or whatever. I mean, we've, we've seen that's, that's right now. That's this election that we're talking about this, uh, this Ontario, these municipal elections, but we've seen elections in past and recent memory. I think just a few years ago, an election in Canada on a Jewish high holiday. Uh, you know, yeah, my, Rosh Hashanah, I think. Yeah, yeah, my pal, I was telling you about. He said, he said, he said, you'd never, you'd never hold an election, you'd never run an election through like Christmas, like a Christian holiday, so to speak. Uh, do you think that efforts should be made 
to keep – it's not like – and people will say, well, there's so many world religions. How are you going to do it? Or there's so many but, – but not really. There are, there are still – pockets on there there are plenty of options through the calendar year where no, none of the major religions are celebrating uh the very significant observations that they do. do do you think that that's something that should be considered as a factor when, when elections are being scheduled yeah i i could sure i i think that's if especially if you want to increase voter participation or voter turnout right like yeah. i think you can avoid uh having an election on one of the jewish high holidays you can avoid having an election on diwali um but you know if you're talking about hindu holidays in general i mean there are a lot of them <laughs> um like diwali is obviously like the big shebang right um but there are a lot of them uh out there and so I do think you get into a little bit of, uh, okay, well, then this date, it can't be this date, it can't be this date, it can't be this date, and it has to be within a certain time frame. You know, there are also, uh, like, mandatory voting days, yeah, right? Like, a, a fixed sure. election period. Like, fixed or, election or periods, yeah. yeah. I just I just think that, like, I guess just bigger picture thinking, um, and, and, and I don't think that this comes across, I hope it doesn't come across as conspiratorial, I don't think so, but the optics around, like, the, you know, the big words to use, like voter suppression, I don't know, just optics. I just wonder if there are considerations to be made there. Also, there's this. So, Ryan, have you been paying a lot of attention to the uh, inquiry into the invocation of the Emergencies Act? Define a lot. Uh, no, I've been, uh, I think, like, maybe a little bit more interested uh, than the average Canadian, but just barely. Like, I understand... The I think I understand uh, the the magnitude of the significance of invoking the Emergencies Act. I recognize why the public inquiry is important. The story obviously resonates with Canadians. The idea of the the, the occupation and the you know the the takeover of downtown Ottawa, etc. Uh, but with regards to the nuance of it, if I'm being honest with you, uh, I'm still trying to find the hook on something that would make me really really care. Is that fair? No, that's more than fair. Um, so just to give our, our listeners a bit of a rundown, um, you know, there is a lot of information that is coming out of the inquiry. And so in the last few days or so, um, what we found out is that the head of the RCMP, Brenda Lucky, sent an email before the EA was invoked, like the, literally the day before, saying that not all tools had been exhausted. So not, you know, totally great for the feds on that front. Um, the OPPs, the Ontario Provincial Police, did like a basically a 180 in terms of their intel assessment because the OPP commissioner back in March told a group of MPs that his forces intel had concluded that the convoy posed a threat to national security. But then his own head of intel told the commission that they never received any credible info to that effect. Um it turns out that the Ottawa police, for their part, um, relied on a Rex Murphy column to make all sorts of ridiculous conclusions about the convoy that weren't credible. Um, OPP Intel also said back in February that it's you know it was likely that foreign adversaries were fueling um, or may have tried to take leverage or advantage of the protest for their own agenda. There were over 500 charges that were laid uh, in in Ottawa during during that time. But the big story. From the last, I would say, latter half of the last week and into this week is that uh, Premier Ford is uh, fighting um, testifying. And last week he was asked about whether or not he was called upon to testify. And this is what he had to say. I have not been asked uh, again. Uh, I want to repeat what I said earlier. We have top officials uh, from the OPP that were running the operation with conjunction with municipal 
uh, police agencies and uh, the RCMP. You know, our police did an incredible job. They, they were very peaceful, they moved forward, and I am so proud to stand here and back our police right across this country and right across this province. I'll always support our police. They're professional, they're polite, and they ended up getting the job uh, done. Thank you. So a little bit of a discrepancy there in terms of, um, you know, what came out in terms of the commission being like, well, what are you talking about? We, we asked him to, to appear. Now, from Ford's perspective, um, his office did say that he was asked to voluntarily come uh, instead of like officially testifying. So it, it, there's a bit of nuance there. Um, but I mean, let me ask you, is Ryan, as somebody who's like watching this from Al Alberta, uh, what do you make of uh, of Ford not testifying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as the as the province that that proudly sent hundreds of trucks <laughs> east, Sapria. Uh, <laughs> of course, convoy talk in Western Canada is a little bit different because that's where a lot of. The, although I won't, you know what? It's not like there weren't trucks from Ontario too. Maybe Canadians can share the blame on this one. Yeah. Can I? You know, the one thing that's jumping out at me, honestly, and and, and help me understand this. Like, I understand that the, the, the Liberals kind. Of, I mean, the RCMP operates at arm's length, but there is some connection obviously between for example the federal government uh, the liberal government and Brenda Lucky but you know for sure but uh, for 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 the the top cop in Canada to say that there were what was her exact words again there were basically other options on the table there were things that had not been leveraged what was what was her phrasing? not not all tools had been exhausted not all I tools think. had been exhausted yeah. can someone explain to me how that reflects more poorly on the government than it does on the police like yeah. It's an emergency. I mean, it's a huge problem. What do you mean? There's what do you mean? Not everything has not not every corner has been explored. Not every avenue has. Like, what are you talking about? Why not? I don't understand how that falls more in the lap of the politicians than it does the police. I mean, that, that that's a great point. And I think that's um, my main takeaway from all of this and, and watching a lot of what's been coming out of the inquiry is the fact that like the police um, really dropped the ball here um, at various levels. And essentially that's why uh, the feds had, had to step in um, on the question of, of Ford though. Um, it is worth noting that he is raising a bit of an interesting question as to whether or not he actually can be uh, called to, to testify because of parliamentary privilege. And, you know, we don't need to get into the, is super heavy details of that because like legal eggheads will battle it out. But I think it's a question worth asking and there's merit to that, whether or not you agree with it or not. Um, but just on the political optics for Ford, I mean, I don't think there's a real win for him uh, no. here in, in any way. Right. Like he said before he wanted the Emergencies Act. He said he supported the feds for that. Um, and, you know, he he was standing shoulder to shoulder with the prime minister and the federal government. Um, and he doesn't like being the bad guy. Right. Ford. So I don't think he wants to go up there um, and basically seem as though he was not being as supportive um, for towards the police, as he said in that clip. And. Uh, I, I think it's also worth noting that Ford himself has also uh, been the target of a lot of, you know, uh, vicious anti-vax uh, rhetoric. I mean, they showed up to his house to protest um, uh, uh, multiple times um, throughout the pandemic. Uh, his then health minister as well had uh, protesters show up in, in front of uh, in front of her house. And, you know, I've said this before to you, Ryan, but Ford doesn't suffer from the same level of like brain worms, you know, algorithmically induced brain worms that other conservative politicians um, tend to suffer from, like Pierre Polyev or Danielle Smith or whatever. Um, so as much as he backs like, you know, police and truckers and whatever cliched demographic that conservatives uh, have to back. Right. Um, I, I think he doesn't actually believe a lot of the lunacy that the convoy uh, was pushing. Um, and, you know, 
paradoxically, that is bad for him uh, politically if he were to go up and that were to come out in yeah. very blunt terms. Yeah, I'm also not convinced. And, and this is maybe something that, you know, I, I don't mean to dismiss the subject matter. I'm not. It, it's important. And obviously it was an event, uh, it, it, you know, quite frankly, in Canada's history that was quite significant. But I don't think the average person is paying attention to this. And I'm not convinced the average person cares. Like, I think that the Canadians have uh, two positions on the convoy and that's either fuck yeah or fuck <laughs> off and i'm not sure that anybody has changed their mind on that due to this inquiry seriously so ryan did you see the environment canada statement <laughs> that you know well so they put out two statements first they put out a statement today at the volley basically saying that um, you know, there's going to be fireworks and it's the volley and it's going to lower the air quality uh, around certain areas. And, you know, this time of year, air is stagnant, yada, yada, yada. And so it's going to be bad. A lot of people were mad about that because it's not like they put out these statements um, on May 2-4 weekend when there are fireworks or yeah. on Canada Day when there are fireworks. Right. So it seemed to be singling out uh, my people for their festive nature. Um, and then Environment Canada put out a statement later in the day, uh, you know, maintaining the air quality stuff, but basically taking out any reference to the volley or and fireworks. Yeah, they're like, due to due to factors we, we can't quite put our finger on. Uh, <laughs> there's a special air quality statement in place. It's uh, it's one of those things that that whether or not it's true or accurate, it's not always the best thing to put out there for public consumption. Right. Is this it? Well, like yeah, any, and if it, but if it is to- true, then don't back down either, because that that's my other thing. Like, okay. if the air quality is in fact going to be worse because of fireworks or patakas, like you know the the firecrackers that 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 my people tend to tend to light, um, then 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 go ahead. Um, but it just seems weird that it, you know it's we don't have those sorts of statements for other holidays, and so yeah. I get the. I, I don't know. I, I really, I very much get the reaction. And like, to your point, if it is true, then stick with it. Like, I'm I don't know. To think, I'm trying to think of what, like, well, what's another equivalent that we could, you know, in good faith that we could consider here? Would, would, it, would it maybe be something from, you know, from land management officials or, or environmental lobby groups, you know, due to the Christian holiday of Christmas, our landfills <laughs> are filling up with, with wrapping paper and bows yeah. and discarded dead Christmas trees. Thanks to, <laughs> thanks to the Christians, our land fills are becoming a more of a problem yeah is, is that kind of the equivalent on this one i don't know maybe that's it but yeah maybe i don't know i hate what about what about fireworks in general supriya like whether whether it's diwali or canada day like you said or or uh you know i mean a touchdown scored at a professional football game or what have you uh, i'm just paying attention to what people are saying around me it seems like fewer and fewer people are cool with fireworks i wonder if 20 years from now if anybody's going to be shooting them off anymore yeah, that's that's a good question, because I've noticed that, too. People mention that they, you know, uh, disrupt their pets. They disrupt newborns. Right. Um, if you Migratory are birds, from, and, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, pollution, yada, yada. So like, there's a, there's a lot of, I, I guess, 
uh, cons for fireworks generally. Um, the pro is that they're nice to look at. And they're um, awesome. And, the pros and are fun. that they're awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, can, this is not totally related, but can, uh, we, we were at a, a football game, uh, the uh, Edmonton Elks, BC Lions, last weekend. Me and my little guy, seven years old. It's, it's Military Appreciation Night, Canadian Forces Appreciation Night. And uh, at the end of the national anthem, should have seen it coming, uh, two CF-18s come flying in just right over the stadium and buzz the stadium. And it put my little guy, my seven-year-old, into a uh, kind of a bit of a wind wobble. He was uh, he was a little bit rattled mm-hmm. by it. I think just by 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 the the, the the major experience that a fighter jet brings, you know, a few hundred feet above you. But I also saw some chatter on social media that really made me think, and it was the first time I'd seen this uh, regarding flybys, as they call them, or flyovers. And and that was someone, or, or rather, several people, quite critical. Um, Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton, Supriya, where it is around that neighborhood. There are there are high populations of, of, of refugees, of immigrants, of new Canadians. And I had never thought of something like that as something that could be quite triggering or quite traumatic from someone, for example, uh, that had fled a war zone, you know, where, where that sound or that experience could really take somebody to a, to a very difficult place. Uh, these are the things that I think it's more important uh, for us to talk about now than ever before. And so, and so you know, whether it's fireworks uh, or flyovers or things that we've done in celebratory contexts, but maybe it's time we rethink all of it. Oh, you're just adding to cancel culture now. Yeah, I'm just trying to get people thinking and talking about our podcast. <laughs> if what we're talking about here is resonating with you, you got to tell your friends about it. Supriya, people can follow us on Instagram at SeriouslyPod and on Twitter at Supriya and Ryan. You can also check us out on our website, SeriouslyPod.com, and you can always email us at talk at SeriouslyPod.com. I will see you next Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwivedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Turlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Shivers. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tangi. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out seriouslypod.com.